you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And if you're physically able, why don't you stand with me and we'll read a portion of God's word tonight. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick it up. We left off at verse 13. Jesus is speaking and he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. Father, we thank you so much for this time tonight. We can get into your word and I pray that you'd speak to us, that you, Lord, would be our teacher tonight. What a great privilege it is for me to open up the scriptures to this precious congregation But Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to be your disciples. So Father, by the power of your spirit, would you add life to these words that come from my mouth tonight? And may eternal things happen in our hearts. We love you, we praise you, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. What is a warning? Webster Dictionary defines warning as a statement or an event that indicates a possible or impending danger, problem, or other unpleasant situation. And there are many types of warnings. The National Weather Service has its warnings. Tornado warning. Tornado watch, it's on the ground. Hurricane warning, hurricane watch, it's about to come on shore if you live in the east coast of Florida or the United States. The Surgeon General has a warning. It's on the outside of your cigarette box. Go ahead and pull it out right now and take a look at it. Ah, gotcha. (laughs) But it's a warning. You know it says smoking these will kill you. And I give you smokers a bad time, but... On the packet of Sweet and Low that I use all the time, 
It used to have a warning. It used to have a warning that said, warning, this product is known to cause cancer in laboratory animals. Now, if you look at sweet and low today, that warning is gone. And I kind of want to know why. I really want to know why. Did they find that warning didn't work anymore? Did it stop causing cancer suddenly? Did they realize that I'm not a rat? And so therefore, I'm not the same as those it was causing? Or or were there just no more rats to test on because they all got cancer? I don't know. I want to know because I'm still using the stuff. Warnings are important. Found a couple of these online. On the outside of a home massager, an at-home massager, it says, do not use... While unconscious. <laughs> really? <laughs> How many times does that come into play? You know, I'm unconscious. I will give myself a massage. <laughs> I don't know about that. On the outside of a toner cartridge, it says, do not eat toner. Mm. I was wondering if that was for Joe Henschel when he was a kid. Anyways, sorry, did I say that out loud? From a can of mace, it says, may irritate the eyes. I hope so. That's why I bought it. I wasn't trying to replace my contact solution. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I ran out of Bosch and Lom. So instead, I'll just try some mace, see how that works. No way. How about this one from a toilet bowl cleaning brush? Do not use orally. (laughs) At least not the second time, huh? Amen, amen. And I think my favorite from my own microwave oven... Do not use for drying pets. Amen. Amen. Do they really have to put that on there? I mean, really? Our world has so many warnings. Some we need to hear. Don't microwave your pets. Never a good idea. Some that maybe, hopefully, are just obvious that you, you know, don't have to be told. But of course, friends, it's what you do with that warning that is important. It's what you do with that warning. It's especially true for warnings that Jesus would give. And tonight we're going to look at three warnings from Jesus. Three final warnings in the Sermon on the Mount. And these three warnings serve as our next lesson in being discipled by Jesus. We're doing a series I've entitled called Being Discipled by Jesus. We're looking at those passages where where, where Jesus didn't pull the multitudes aside or rebuke the Pharisees, but he was taking those that didn't want to just play church, those that just wanted to be part of the crowd, they wanted to be disciples. And he began to pour into them things that they would need to know. And in this first part, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, where he taught them there's attitudes that you and I are, that we need to have. And when we have those attitudes in our heart and in our life, well, what it's going to produce is God's smile upon us. God's smile in our heart. God's smile in our life. And the reality is, those things are not just to be lived in some Christian commune, but they're to be lived out in the community and the culture in which God has placed us. We are to be what? Salt and light. Very good. Then Jesus gave us six Old Testament examples of where the Pharisees were just kind of living the law just to get the the outside religion down. And he says, no, as a disciple, it goes further than just these outward religion. It matters what's going on in your heart. And he shares those things with them. Then he moved on to show that when it comes to those religious things, how we do them is very important. How we operate. Again, as disciples, it's not if we give or if we pray or if we fast, but what, friends? When we give. Come on, you can say it. When we pray, when we fast. But the motive is so key. Because if we're doing those things so people will see our good works and glorify us, hey, 
That is not the heart of a disciple. And you need to be corrected by the word of God. But if you're doing good work so people will see you and say, isn't God good? Isn't God amazing? Well, then you are right on. Last week, we learned how what it meant to not to judge and how we can discern who and how to help people God wants us to in our lives. And tonight, we're gonna wrap up our look at the Sermon on the Mount, not our series on being discipled by Jesus. That continues next week. Uh, Paul Pirelli actually is gonna be sharing next week from Matthew chapter 11, a great passage. You'll wanna be here. And then I'll be back two weeks from tonight and we'll kind of start the second half of this series and starting to look at things Jesus said to his disciples right before he went to the cross. Some really, really important stuff. But for tonight, we're in Matthew chapter seven, the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said before, he's given us three warnings. And if you're taking notes tonight, it'll also be up on the screen. He's warning you against three things. He's warning you and I against the wide path. He's warning you and I against false prophets. And finally tonight, he is warning us against religious facades. So let's look at these one at a time, starting with the wide path there in verse 13, where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The first warning Jesus has for his disciples is he's warning them against the wide path. And notice with me, if you would, why Jesus thinks it is dangerous. He says this path is broad. And that word there is so descriptive, you note takers. It means easy, attractive, inclusive, permissive. It's the way of least resistance. It's the way that looks best to our human eyes, our human heart. But God says, God says, avoid it. You know, we're taught from our youngest days, follow your heart. I think it was the great prophet Snow White that first taught us that. (laughs) Follow your heart into love. Listen, Snow White, your theology is wrong. Your theology is corrupt. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It is not a good idea to always follow your heart. And when it comes to this path, what seems inviting, what seems like the way to go, Jesus says, don't do it. I know it looks great, but then he says, it leads to what? Destruction. You know, there's a snake in South America. Get ready, Danny and Michelle. There's a snake in South America. And uh, its tail looks exactly like a worm. And the snake moves its body into the bushes and it just hangs out its little wormy-like tail. And what happens is along comes a frog. And he sees this tail, this worm, so he thinks, hanging out, wiggling around. And I'm sure the frog thinks, oh, lucky day. It is my lucky day. This worm is out above ground. It's not going anywhere. Lunchtime for me. Follow my heart. Follow my tummy. It's going to be a blessing. But what the frog doesn't realize is that he is the free lunch. He is the one. It's him that's on the menu. And it is such a great description of what happens so often from the enemy. Oh, it sounds so good. It's so amazing. It's going to be great. Oh, I know that guy doesn't know the Lord. But I will change him. And then he will be a beautiful Christian man. Oh, I know that that, that, that job takes me away from my church family. but, But I can survive on my own. 
The change will be hard on the kids, but I'll make more money. And isn't that what kids really need? More money. Oh, I wish we could often see the end. That that cute girl, that cute guy will leave you and tear you apart. That life after money will destroy you and your family. You can't make it alone. You need a church family. But we don't see it. We don't see it. So Jesus, who loves you and I, says, beware. Beware. The way God intends you and I to live is the narrow path. The narrow path. But I love it. God does not beat around the bush, friends. He doesn't in any way. He describes that narrow path as what? Difficult. Difficult. You see, some of you were lied to when you got saved. If you didn't get saved here. If you got saved here, you weren't lied to. Just so you know. But in other places, if someone led you to the Lord and said, Hey, give your life to Christ. All your problems will go away. Give your life to Christ and the sun will always shine and all your sickness will be gone. Oh, praise God. That was a lie. That's not the reality. And Jesus, being honest with us, he says the narrow road is hard. And he doesn't say that someday it will smooth out and become easy. No, friends, he says it is difficult. But at the same time, get this, get this. At the same time, The reality the narrow path brings. The reality that we're on the right path. That we're headed to heaven. That it's the way of blessing. It's that that brings us joy and peace. I mean, have you ever been traveling and not knowing where you're going? I mean, take it from me as a guy that goes and speaks at a lot of camps during the summer and traveling here or there. I mean, sometimes I get an address. You rent a car. You head out. And I have learned by experience that the iPhone, as great as it is, will sometimes lead you to an empty building. That's just the way it is. It's like, this is not Calvary Chapel. Uh, No, what is this? It doesn't always work. And so when you're driving and you've never been a place before, and if you're like me, you're just making it on time. Oh, man, how good it is when you see a landmark that they told you would be there. When you see a road sign that was supposed to be there, it's like, great. Even if I've got a long way left on the journey, it is such a joy to realize I am on the right path. You see, the wide path is easy because all you have to do is do what feels natural to your flesh. But the narrow path, Jesus says, you must make a conscious decision. You have to say no to the flesh. And yes, Jesus is honest, it can be hard, but the narrow road leads to life. It's like so many other things in our lives, friends. I mean, if you want to be fat tonight, if that's your goal in life, I can help you with this. I really can. I can give you a surefire way to put on the calories and pudge out. I really can. Simple prescription. Every night, every night, a gallon of ice cream and two or three ultimate cheeseburgers from my favorite place on earth, Jack in the Box. Two or three of those a night and then do nothing. Don't you dare exercise. Just sit on the couch and enjoy. And you know it'll happen, don't you? Oh, yes. The flab is coming. It's easy. It's easy. It's enjoyable at first. The ice cream tastes so good. The hamburger is so fatty. But then you die. Now, now, 
if you want to be fit or trim, you're going to have to see someone else. But here's what I've heard. If you eat right and exercise, oh, that's the way to go. Now, listen, that's not easy. That's not always fun. But it leads to what? Life. 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 We know these principles. We've got to hear it spiritually. If we're just going to follow our heart and do whatever we want and just kind of, I mean, I mean, friends, I'm, I'm passionate about this because I feel that in our culture as American Christians, this is what we've adopted. Not so much at this church, but as a Christian culture, just kind of do what you want and, and, and play the religious game. No, no, it leads to destruction. You need to decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to take this book and I'm going to do what it says. Oh, I know I'll sometimes fall and not do what's right, but I'm going to be serious about following God on this narrow path that he's laid out for you and me. Friends, it leads to what? Life. Jesus says, I'm warning you, disciples. I'm warning you against this wide, broad, all-inclusive path. Go for the narrow path. Second warning. Not just the wide path, but secondly, he warns us of false prophets. Look in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. After warning of the wide path, Jesus next warns his disciples of false prophets. You see, he could look into the future. And what Jesus could tell is that the church would have its fair share of false teachers. Israel had false prophets for their entire existence, basically. I mean, it was only a a few months ago, those of you that are reading through the one-year Bible. You remember King Jehoshaphat is going to battle with the king of, of Israel at the time. And he comes down, he says, can we inquire of the Lord? And the king of Israel says, well, all right. And he brings out 400 of these guys. And Jehoshaphat can tell right away, these guys are not prophets of God. Do you have a prophet of God Yes, yet? And the king of Israel says, oh, we got this guy, Micah. But he always tells me bad things. <laughs> I don't want to hear from him. Well, let's bring him out. Let's hear what he has to say. And so they bring Micah out. As they bring him out, this other, this other prophet, Zedekiah, he's made for himself these iron horns. And he goes before the king and he says, what's going to happen, king? You're going to gore this. I think it's hilarious, by the way. This guy's making props. And he's walking out going, you're going to gore the Syrians. Here he comes. I mean, it's ridiculous what's going on here. And I see Micah going, maybe it's because I've been in Texas for a long time, but I just see him going, what is going on here with the iron horns? And they ask him, what's going to happen? He says, Israel's going to be scattered on the mountaintops. There's not going to be any goring the Syrians with your horns. Israel knew what it was like to have these false teachers that would say stuff people wanted to hear. Things that that itched their ears and said, yes. But it was lies and destructive to their souls. Israel had it, friends. The church has it. 
And you as a disciple, you as one who wants to use, be used by the Lord for all of your life, you've got to be ready because the false teachers look good. They look good. And, and, and what I mean by that, it's not that they are on the cover of GQ, you know, like that kind of look good. But I mean, they look like normal guys, normal gals. They don't carry around pitchforks. Here to teach tonight, let me set my pitchfork on the side. They don't have t-shirts that say false prophet. That'd be awesome. <laughs> hey, that's, I don't know if I should listen to that study. They don't, in other words, it's hard to tell. Chuck Swindoll tells a great story. Chuck Swindoll, a great Bible teacher, tells a story about a friend of his that was at a party hosted by a famous chef. And the chef was, at, was dared or told, you know, you could even make dog food taste good. So this chef, without telling her guests at the party, decided to see if that was true. She took cans of dog food and mixed it with spices and chopped up vegetables and put it on a fancy cracker. And as her guests arrived at this famous chef's house, she began to serve dog food to her guests. And the story is told that they just, that's fabulous. What's that? And and I want more. I want more. I want more. Now, Chuck Swindoll doesn't say what happened when she let them know that it was dog food. I would love to know that because you would probably be someone uppity if you're at the party of a famous chef. And so I can just picture when it's like, hey, that appetizer you loved, dog food. But the reality is, no one could tell. No one can tell because it was doctored up by a really good professional. You hear me on that? Friends, Satan is a really good professional. He knows how to cover up his lies in truth. How to cover up his deception and things that sound good and look good. And you're not going to be able to tell who a false prophet is by casual observance. Jesus says they're going to look like sheep, but inward they're ravenous wolves. So how can we tell? Jesus says you'll know them by your fruit. Just like we examined last week when Jesus says we're not to judge. When Jesus says judge not, he does not mean, listen, he does not mean that there are not times in your life when you have to weigh the evidence and have some discernment. We're not to judge for condemnation. That's God's job, not yours. But we are commanded all the time in Scripture to judge for identification so we can know what it is we're dealing with. Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruit. What's coming out of their mouths? Does it contradict the Scriptures? If it does, that person is a false prophet. Does it contradict the heart of God? Does that person remind you of Jesus coming to serve, coming, coming to serve, not to be served? Or is that person all about lifting up their name, their ministry, their person? Again, we need to be careful because Satan foot puts forth deception. It's usually packaged in truth. You know, I read a lot and I agree sometimes with 98% of what a book says. And then there could be something that's off. And I disagree, and not just something that is a different way to do ministry or a different take on some kind of controversial doctrine, but some little difference that chips away at who Jesus is, that chips away at his majesty and his love for us. Jesus says we need to beware as disciples, to beware of the wide path, to beware of false prophets. And then thirdly, finally, 
to beware of religious facades. Religious facades. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was found on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus warns of the wide path. He warns them of false prophets. And then he closes with this warning against religious facades. And I've got to be honest. These verses we just read are some of the most troubling that Jesus ever said. Very, very troubling. Now, before we get there, the word facade is a French word, meaning false front. And they use it to describe the outside of movie sets where the outside building, it looks real, looks like a real house, but you go past, if you've ever been to Universal Studios, you know, you, you go past this facade and what happened? There's nothing there. And again, sadly, many Christians are this way. They come to church, they say they're believers, they look great outwardly, but if you look at the heart, you'd see there's nothing there, there. And friends, we need to really consider as we look at these difficult words from Christ, what it really means to be a Christian. You see, why these words trouble me is when we really consider what Jesus is saying tonight, what is being a Christian? It's not about saying the right words, for they do, don't they? They say, Lord. They call him by his right official title. They didn't say, dude, dude, you know, dodger in the sky. You know, they didn't say stuff like that. They called him Lord. That's the right term, the right words. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a preacher. That guy's a preacher. That, that, that gal talks a lot about the Lord. They have the right words. Not, it's not saying the right words. I mean, you look at the scripture and you see that's not true. You see Balaam in the book of Numbers. Some of the greatest prophecies about Jesus in all of the Old Testament comes from the mouth of a man who was really nowhere with God. Well, what about Saul? Saul is prophesying as the Spirit of God comes upon him. And we know he's, at the very least, not right on with God. In fact, thinking of Balaam, God used the donkey to talk. And we know the donkey. Oh, don't say it. The donkey is saved. He is saved. Listen, I don't know. But my point is this. My point is this. Saying the right words isn't it. Doing religious works isn't it. This gets scarier yet. I mean, have you noticed that these, these people say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? That's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, I don't want to show a hands because that could get weird here tonight. But I mean, how many of you recently have been casting out demons? How many, like, oh yeah, last Monday, that's what I did. You know? I mean, most of us would be like, no, that's not been on my agenda recently. That's a pretty heavy thing to be involved with. Yet these guys 
wait a second, Pastor Jason, are you saying that, 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 that someone who's not saved can even cast out a demon? Yes. How do you know? Luke 10, 17 tells us that Judas had that power. Judas was given the power to cast out demons. We know Judas wasn't right on with God. So it's not religious works. It's not religious words. It's not even performing miracles doesn't make you a real believer. For Jesus will go on to say in Matthew 24 that false Christs and false prophets will come on the scene and they'll do what? They'll perform miracles and many mighty wonders. And that's why, friends, hear me on this. That's why, even though I, as you know, Pastor Rob, as you know, we believe in the working of miracles. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But even though we do, we caution you on not following after those things. I believe they're real. I believe they're for today. But a person that's operating those gifts, according to Jesus, is not necessarily saved or right on with God. We need to be following the words in this book, not the working of signs and miracles. We need to test what comes before us with this book. So if being saved is not necessarily the right words or the religious works or even performing miracles, what is it? Well, this book says we're saved how? By, oh, come on, you guys know this. We are saved by through faith, yes. By grace, through faith. But faith in what? In the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not you trying to make yourself acceptable to God by your words or your good deeds. Not that either of those things are bad. But, if, but, but you're trusting in what Christ did on the cross. And we need to remember that it's more than just an intellectual acknowledgement of what Jesus did on the cross. For the book of James tells us that demons believe and tremble. We know that they're not saved. But to have faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross is to say, I want what you did, God, to count for me. I want you as my Savior, my Lord. I want to surrender my life to you. And friends, I believe the only surefire way to evaluate whether or not that has really happened in your life is to examine your life. Jesus says in verse 23 that there's going to be those who Jesus says on the day of judgment, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Then Jesus sums up his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount as he starts to illustrate it on building a house. And he says, if you're hearing these sayings of mine and you're doing them, oh, you are building your life on a firm foundation. And if you're not, well, hey, your foundation is not secure. But in the NIV version, it's so interesting to me. Listen, the words will be up on the screen. He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Why I'm drawing your attention to that is, Jesus says there's going to be those who come to me on that day, and I'll say, depart from me, you who what? Practice lawlessness. And then he says, those of you who are hearing what I'm saying, and you're putting it into practice, that is a firm foundation. The same word. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying your, your works save you. 
I am saying what you are practicing, listen, what you are practicing is a great indicator of whether or not your faith is genuine. Remember, salvation is not about saying the right words or doing religious works or even performing miracles. It is about faith in Jesus. And I believe Jesus is saying it's a good indicator of whether your faith is real or not, whether the foundation you are on is solid or not. A great indicator is to look at what you are practicing. Now, so that we're clear, practicing sin is different than falling. We're all sinners. We all sin. We all have a sin nature. And fortunately, until we get our new bodies without that sin nature, you are going to follow. Fall, fall, follow, yeah, something. It's not good. (laughs) But there's a difference between sinning, even being addicted to sins, but wanting to be free, wanting to be different. There's a difference between that and practicing sin. Paul even made the distinction in the book of Galatians. The words will be up on the screen Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, listen, that those who practice such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? If you are practicing these things, you are not going to heaven. I didn't say that. The word of God said that. What are you saying? Are you saying that if I, if I do one of those things, I lose my salvation? I didn't say that. You don't have to email me. I didn't say that. The word says those who practice such things. Well, what in the world is the difference? What does it mean to practice sin? Well, maybe this illustration will help. Maybe it won't. When I used to be serious about competitive golf, my weekly schedule was like this. I would play one day, play a round of golf, and I would take notes on what was costing me strokes. Maybe I was hitting it in the bushes. Good indicator. You need to learn to not hit it in the bushes. Maybe around the greens, you know, I wasn't able to get the ball up and into the hole. Maybe it was the sand traps that were giving me... I would, I would, oh, man, I could have two strokes, three strokes more if I just would have eliminated that. And then the next day, I would go to the course and I would do what? I would practice. I would try to eliminate those things from my game so I would get better. Now, when I was new, there was a lot to work on. But the better I got, the more there was just refining. I was practicing to get better. Now, that doesn't always mean I did what I practiced. There were times even when I was super good that I still hit it into the bushes. There were times I didn't do what I wanted to do. I would fail and keep working. But it was my purpose. It was my plan and my practice to get better at the game of golf. Now my question for us precious ones tonight is this. What are you practicing? Is it to walk with God? You're going through life and you fail. So you prayerfully say, Lord, like David did, search me, God. Show me what's unclean within me. Identify these things that are leading me this way. And then you begin to realize, hey, when I stay up and watch that program, man, my mind goes to a, a, a place that's not good and I, and I fall into sin. Maybe I shouldn't stay up late and watch that program. 
awesome. Hey, when I hang out with her, I'm always gossiping. And we're always talking about other people. And I, we leave and I feel so bad. But it's just like every time we get together, it's like we start. And God's convicting me. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't spend so much time with her. Or when I do, if we start to, maybe I should shut it down. Yes, good, good. You're trying to get better. And again, it doesn't mean you always succeed. Remember, I still hit it into the bushes even when I was practicing. There's times you go, God, I want to walk with you. And you still fall and go, ah. But you say, Lord, I want to learn and I want to repent. And by the power of your spirit, I want to grow. I'm practicing walking with God and growing with him. Are you practicing that or are you practicing sin? Are you getting better at being deceitful? Are you getting better at hiding your sin? Are you getting better at not feeling convicted? If you are, precious one, hear me tonight. I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying beware, beware, beware. Beware what you're practicing. Because a day will come when you will stand before the Lord. Some people, some people are going to hear the words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. That's so heavy to me. You know, when Jesus said, I, I, I don't know you, we maybe need to clarify what that means. I mean, doesn't Jesus know everyone? He's not walking around heaven one day going, what was your name again, bro? <laughs> I don't remember. That's not, that's not how that goes down. That's not a problem with God. When he says, I never knew you, the Greek word is gnosko. It means to have an intimate knowledge like a man has for his wife and a wife has for her husband. It's knowledge. It's not just intellectual knowledge. You know, I know things about my wife. My wife's hair is brown. Her eyes are brown. Her birthday is September 25th, 19th. <laughs> I know not to answer that to finish that statement. You see, I know my wife. I know my wife. But the intimate knowledge is not just to know facts. It's to know her emotionally, intimately. And Jesus is saying, I, I long for that with all of you. Not for you just to know facts about me or for me to know facts about you. He already knows all the facts, but it's an intimacy he's looking for. It's an intimacy that sets you apart. It's what he died to give you. And precious church, maybe for some of you, it's been a while since you've been in that place. Your relationship with God has gotten routine where you're going through the religious motions and maybe you find yourself even practicing sin. Tonight, tonight, not tomorrow. Tonight is the night to say, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to get on the right path. I want to stop listening to false teachers like my own heart. I want to put off the religious facades and get back to a real intimate relationship with you. Or I know I won't always be perfect. But I'm practicing by the power of his spirit to grow in your love and your knowledge and your likeness, Lord Jesus. I want to know you again. The wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about the Lord you and I serve from cover to cover in this book is he's always ready for you to say, I've been on the wrong path. 
I'm ready to come back, Lord. I'm ready to put away the religious facades and live for you. You know, I think if we were the Lord and we broke, you know, someone broke our heart as much as we break God's heart, boy, there would be an end to grace, wouldn't there be? There'd be a moment when we would say, I am done with you. Praise God, that's not the Lord you and I serve. He wants to take you in his arms tonight. He wants you to set you, if you're not tonight, on that narrow path. He wants to break down those religious facades and know you intimately. He wants to teach you by the power of his spirit to practice walking with him. What a good God. What a good God that we serve. Amen? Amen. Father, amen. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you that you love us. And Lord, even we who are your disciples, we who should know better, Lord, I know for me, I I, I find myself walking after things I know break your heart, giving in to my heart and what I, oh, Lord, forgiveness. God, your disciples need forgiveness. But Lord, besides forgiveness, we need to be warned tonight. And I pray specifically for anyone in this room anyone listening online, anyone that will hear this this, this study at a later time that maybe is on that broad path, that is listening to false teachers, even the false teacher of their own heart, that has put up a religious facade and there's nothing behind it. Lord, I pray that your precious people would be warned tonight. That there is coming a day when they will stand before you. And some, some will hear the words, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. And I pray with all of my heart that that would not be anyone sitting in this room tonight. Anyone listening to these words. Lord, may we, as David showed us to do, Allow your spirit to search our hearts. And if there needs to be some altering in our hearts tonight, do it, Lord. Do it. God, if there needs to be some stopping of the religious games, do it in our heart tonight, God. We want to be yours fully and completely. Lord, I do pray for anyone here tonight that has not committed their heart to you, that tonight would be the night. And with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, no one looking around, a moment between you and the Lord, if you know you're not right with God tonight, whether that means you've never given your heart to him or you've walked away from him, you just know you're not right. You sense it. You sense it in your heart right now. Friend, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Right now is the moment to get right with him. And Romans 10, 9 says you can You can tonight by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And so if you're ready, you're ready to give your heart to him, then right now between you and him, I just want you to confess that to him by repeating a prayer, maybe something like this. Lord, I believe in you. 
And, and I know I need to give my life to you completely. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. And Lord, that's what I want. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. So would you come into my heart, come into my life, be my savior, be my Lord. Teach me what it means to be a Christian. For Lord, tonight, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.